Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Yo, we're in the book of Luke right now. If you didn't know that, you're new here um, because we have been there the last uh, 10 weeks or so together. So if you have your Bible or you want to open up the app, um, that's the book of Luke for us. We've been breaking the whole book in, into different series and kind of sub-genres uh, of the teaching. And so today we're kicking off one called uh, When Pigs Fly. We're going to be talking about the miracles of Jesus. When, when pigs fly, if you hear that phrase, it's like something that is, uh, the, the probability of it happening is, is pretty low. And so when you think about miracles, I, I don't know what you think about when you, when you think about that. Do miracles still happen today? Or, or is that just something that God did a long time ago and we can just learn some stories from it? When I think about miracles, I think about a, a particular college professor that I had that I recently just found out that, that, that he passed away. Um, but Dr. Haney, I, I've told you stories about Dr. Haney before. Uh, Dr. Haney was my, my Old Testament survey professor. And I went to a Christian university uh, graduated with a, a Christian studies degree. And so my freshman year, I took Old Testament. And we had a reading assignment every single day. We met Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So every day we had a reading assignment. And, and every day we would have a quiz on the assignment that we read. And so Dr. Haney every day would walk in and say the exact same thing. Some of the things that he said might sound familiar to you. I've stolen some of his things. But he would walk into the door with a room full of pastors and ministry students. And he'd say, what's up, sinners? Good morning to you. I want to ask everybody to take out a piece of paper and a pencil. We are going to have a quiz. That's how he opened up every single class that I ever walked into. But because it was a Christian university and because we were a bunch of pastors in the room, um, the first thing he did when he walked into class and welcomed us was pray. You know, before this quiz, we're going to pray. And, and Dr. Haney would voice what I called the miracle prayer. Uh, he would say the same, same prayer every single time that we gathered. He'd say, all right, sinners, uh, get out a piece of paper and a pencil. We're getting ready to take a quiz. Let me pray for us before we get started. And he would say the same thing. He'd say, uh, God, I, I pray for these students, um, for the ones that, that read and studied and prepared. I want to ask that you help bring back to their memory everything that they learned, everything that they did. Give them the answers uh, that, that they prepared for and studied for and help them to do well on, on the test. And for those in the room that did not study, and listen, I'm not Pentecostal, but uh, it was during that time during the prayer where I would slip my hand up in the air. <laughs> for those that did not study, and I'm like, mm, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And he would say, for them, I pray for a miracle. That you would bring answers to their minds that they did not study for, that they did not prepare for. And like I'm in the, the room and like I'm stomping my foot at this point. I'm like, let's go. Hear him, Lord. Hear him, Lord. Answer his prayer, Lord. And uh, sometimes it worked. Sometimes he would say amen and, and he would pass out. We'd get the piece of paper and he'd say, all right, now I want everybody to write your name on the top of it. And, and we would write our name and just anxiously awaiting what the first question was. And he would say, now I want you, everybody to pass their papers in. That's all it's going to be. It's just an attendance. That's going to be the quiz grade today. And I'm like, God, you are real. You, did, you answered prayers. It's a miracle. And, and then there are other times where the Lord did not hear my prayer. And um, there was a 10-question quiz. 
that I did not have the answers for. Supernaturally, the Lord wanted to do something else in, in that. So the miracle prayer was not answered. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word miracle or uh, if, if that's something that just de- Jesus did a long time ago and, and that's great, but Jesus isn't here anymore in person and so he doesn't do miracles right now. And, or maybe you believe that miracles still do happen, but maybe they happen in other people's lives. They just never happen in your life. And so I want to look at a story today in the book of Luke in chapter 8. And Jesus is actually going to perform two miracles. And I'm, I'm just curious as we start this, this series called when, when Pigs Fly, is, does Jesus still do miracles today? And what do you think about miracles? And how are we supposed to look at the miracles that Jesus did in the Bible and actually interpret them for, for our lives? And, and so what does it really mean? And so if, if you have your text, let me share with, with you this story. Let me introduce you to the, to the first person, the first recipient of a miracle in this story in, in chapter 8, verse 40. It says, on, on the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And and Jesus went with him. And as he did, he was surrounded by the crowds. The story opens up with the absolute worst-case scenario for a parent. I mean, this is the worst news that you can ever get. This man had a 12-year-old daughter... And she was dying. And the Bible tells us that Jairus was a synagogue leader, which means he was a very politically and religiously, he was a very powerful, very influential, very wealthy person. But despite all of his connections and all of the people that he knows and all of the money that he has, none of that helped his current situation. His daughter was was still dying. And, and Jesus did something for Jairus that would have been a game changer. Even before Jesus performed any miracles, the Bible simply tells us that this man came up and asked Jesus for his help. And, and he said, Jesus, will, will you come to my house with me where my daughter is and, and do something supernatural, do a miracle in her life? And Jesus agreed. Now, you might read over that and be like, okay, like this is just the intro of the story, but there's real power in that. Because when you are having a dark night of the soul, sometimes someone's presence with you is significant. Just knowing that you're not having to go through it by yourself, that there's someone that you can lean on. Yeah, they haven't changed anything. They haven't done anything. Everything is the same. But the fact that Jesus said, I'll be with you, and I'll go, and I, I, we'll journey together. I know you're hurting. I know you've got a, a prayer on your heart and something on your mind. The fact that Jesus promised him his presence must have put a lot of hope in Jairus' heart and soul that day. Do you know that Jesus promises the same to you? The Bible tells us that God will never leave you and never forsake you. That there's never a place that you can go, never a situation that you'll find yourself in where God isn't with you right there. Even before he gives you an answer, even before the prayer comes to fruition, even before your life is changed, it's the simple reality that you are not alone. Jairus realized, man, this is is great news. Jesus is is at least going to agree to, to come with me. And Jesus looks at him and said, let's go together. Jesus is extremely popular, great pastor, great preacher, um, 
miracle worker, does a lot, a lot of great things. And so no matter where Jesus went, people were pushing around him and, and all on top of him. It's like a mob. And this is the scene in this story as well. And, and as Jesus is making his way to Jairus' house and the people are all around him, we meet the second miracle, the second character in our story. It says a, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Now, in the book of Mark, we read this same miracle, but Mark gives us a few more details about this woman. Uh, Number one, Mark tells us that for 12 years, not only was she sick for 12 years, but for the past 12 years, she spent every dime she had at the doctor trying to find a cure, paying anyone and everyone to try to help her identify this problem that she had, this health issue, and to fix it. And Mark tells us that after 12 years, this woman was completely broke. Everything she had had gone to this this medical condition only to realize that, that nothing had changed. Another thing that Mark, the second detail that Mark says is this, this woman's faith. Mark mentions to us that, that this woman knew and believed so much that Jesus could heal this aspect of her life that she didn't even need to talk to Jesus. She didn't need Jesus to come over to her house. She was convinced, if I can just touch Jesus, like if I can just hit the, heart, the, the, the end of his robe, like the hem of his pants, like as he's going by, if I could just brush against his coat, I believe that's what's needed. That would be all it would take in order to be healed. And so the Bible says she reaches out in faith, reaches out believing, and in one prayerful act of faith, her life was changed. God answered her prayer even though 12 years had gone by. And the Bible says she touched Jesus and was immediately healed. Tree pollen is terrible out there, so pray for your boy. <clears throat> if I have a coughing fit, like it's not an exorcism, I'm just, it's just pollen. So I'll just give you a warning. When I see this woman and what she did, and when I think about Jairus, I see the, really, really the first thing that I want to learn together from the miracles all throughout the Bible. It's not just the, these two miracles, but it seems like every miracle is going along this path. It's the first thing that I want to ask you uh, to jot down, um, if, if you would. Number one, <clears throat> desperation leads to dependence. Desperation leads to dependence. Isn't it interesting how you and I will do whatever it takes in our lives to avoid desperation? We've trained ourselves. Never put yourself in a situation where you are desperate. That's why some of you are saving money right now. Because if the market corrects or you lose your job or something happens and you have a big medical bill, you don't want to be desperate. And so you've got some money in your savings account, which I think is smart. Go, go for it. But we're desperate. We don't want to be desperate. And so we're taking moves right now. We want to avoid desperation. It's the reason why, if you ever hear on the weather in Winston-Salem that there's like a 2% possibility of ice, everybody goes to the grocery store. We want to buy all the milk and all the bread, and I buy all the Little Debbies and all the Mountain Dew, and I don't know what y'all are going to do with That seems like a lame party at your house. We got milk and bread. Um, But we don't want to be desperate. We don't want the ice to shut everything down and us be at our house and have nothing to eat. 
And so we'll clean out the shelves to avoid desperation. It's the reason why during the summer when there's a hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico and somebody says, well, it, it might take the oil rigs offline and we might have a pinch in the gas, that, that everybody goes to the gas station and fills their gas cans up. You fill up cans, you buy cans. Like people with electric cars are buying gas. They're like, just in case, right? And we fill it up and, and like, now there's no gas. Why? Because we don't want to get desperate. We don't want to put ourselves in a position where there's no gas and we need to go somewhere and we didn't prepare. We've trained ourselves to avoid desperation at all costs. And what's interesting to me about the scriptures is God loves it when you get desperate. Because for some people, when you get desperate, it's the only time that you'll seek him. It's the only time that you'll actually lean into the presence of God and become totally dependent on him. And so I think sometimes God allows our lives to reach a breaking point, a, t a time where we are completely overwhelmed and we get desperate. Because just like Jairus and just like this woman, when we get desperate, we start to depend on God like we've never depended on him before. And so both of their situations brought them to desperation, and I would argue that it was a great thing that they reached this point because that desperation is what actually led them to Jesus. Desperation um, will, will lead you to the point to where you used to say, maybe we should try this, but now you're at, I have to do this, it's my only hope. It's the only thing. <laughs> it's so interesting to me that, that when people are in a tough spot and I'll say, you know, what can we do? And they're like, well, the, the only thing we can do now is pray. Like, like that's the only thing left. It's like, man, well, bro, if the only thing you can do now is pray, you're in a good spot. <laughs> Because the only thing that you can do right now is the only thing that you need. And so I hate that you got here, but thank goodness you're at the point where you realize that dependence on God is the only thing that you have to reach out to right now. That's what these people were. I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know if you've ever been in a position where you looked up and you realized, man, I'm desperate. I've tried everything. And it seems like God is the only thing that can move. God is the only one that can change things right now. His hand moving in, in some way. Jairus was there. The woman was there. And in that moment, they came to Jesus, and they were desperate to see him do something. In verse 45, so the, the woman reaches out to Jesus, touches his cloak, and um, she's healed. Scripture says she's immediately healed. Can you imagine that? Twelve years of pain. And for the first time in 12 years, you reach out and all of a sudden there's no pain in your body anymore. That's what happened when she touched Jesus. And here's what Jesus said, verse 45. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said this, Master, this whole crowd is pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Listen to what Jesus said. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Throngs of people around Jesus. I love what Peter, you got to, of course, Peter said this. Um, Jesus was like, who touched me? And Peter's like, who touched me? <laughs> Let me tell you something, Jesus. In the last, like, 10 minutes, I've been touched places that I would say are inappropriate. Um, like, there's people all around us, Jesus. I mean, I understand sometimes people brush against me, but I'm pretty sure that woman back there pinched me on the rear end just a second ago. What do you mean, who touched me? Hundreds of people around me. We're waiting at, like, everybody wants to touch you, Jesus. What are you talking about? And Jesus is like, no, nah, I'm not talking about, like, somebody just grazed against me. Like, someone touched me, and it, and it was on purpose. Someone of faith, because, like, Jesus said, the power left me to go to this person. And 
And this lady is hearing it all, and it's like she, like she got her hand caught in the cookie jar or, or caught in the robe, whatever you want to say it. And she's like, I, and I can't say it. Like Jesus is asking, who was it? And so she tells her story. She says, Jesus, it was me. And listen, before you freak out, I just want to tell you why I touched you. Because I believe that if I could just get close enough to you, I've got this illness and it's 12 years and I'm broke and the doctor said it's impossible and I was, de- Jesus, I was desperate, man. And so I reached out and, and, and touched you. And I don't want you to miss this because Jesus looks at her and tells her why the miracle was performed. He looks at her and says, do you know why you were healed? It was your faith. You want to try to tell me that faith's not powerful? You want to tell me that faith is not extremely important in your relationship and in your life? Right now? You want to try to tell me that faith won't change things in your life and around you? Jesus looked at her and said, it's not a magic trick. Your faith, the fact that you believe that if you could get to me and simply touch the end of my robe, that your life would be healed, that was what put your miracle in motion. It was, it was your faith. Simply because you believed now made the impossible possible. Verse 49, while, while he was speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. And he told him in front of Jesus, in front of his disciples, in front of the woman that just got healed, in front of everybody, he said, your daughter is dead. And there is no use in troubling the teacher now. Wow. What a miracle, right? I mean, this girl has had this sickness, this disease for 12 years. She spent all kind of money trying to fix it. And immediately in front of hundreds of people, she touches Jesus's robe and she is healed. Can you imagine how much that robe is going to go for on eBay the next day? Like, this is crazy. Everybody's cheering. Everybody's fired up about it. Like, everybody is rejoicing. Everybody except Jairus. Because Jairus just realizes, hey, that was my miracle. Hey, I'm I'm the one that got Jesus to even come this way. If it wasn't for me, then Jesus wouldn't even have been walking down this road and, and you would have never gotten there. You ever felt that way? You ever been praying about something and calling out to God and just believing and doing what you're called to do and supposed to do? And it seems like God is blessing everyone else's life around you, but he seems to constantly overlook you. And I know, listen, man, I know deep down what we're supposed to do. I know that when God is doing great things in other people's lives and and we're still waiting, I know we're supposed to be happy. I know we're supposed to cheer. I know we're supposed to look at other people and be like, hey, man, praise God that God's doing that in your life. I'm still waiting. I've been praying a long time. But he did it to you instead of me. Great, that feels awesome. I know that's what you're supposed to say. But I can't help but to think about what might have been going through Jairus' mind. And maybe what might be going through your mind today. Because some of you have been praying that God would intervene in your life, in your marriage, in your family, for a long time. And it seems like God might be moving in other people's lives and answering their prayers and doing things and blessing other people. And you might be taking a step back and say, what about me, God? Did you forget about me? What's what's going on? Do you not hear my prayers? Am I not doing the right thing? I mean, come on, I'm putting myself in Jairus' position. This woman has lived a whole life. You decided to heal her instead of my 12-year-old daughter? I mean, my 12-year-old had a, a life that was all in front of her. And like this woman, 
She's older. She's been sick longer than my daughter has been alive. Like, if you had to choose between the two, Jesus, wouldn't you choose the young girl over the, the older woman? And some of you may be waiting for something in your life, praying, and it seems like God seems to be touching everyone else but you. Some of you, man, you want to get married. You've been praying for a spouse. And, man, how many of your friends are getting married? How many bridesmaids' dresses are you going to have to buy? Like, how many tuxes am I going to have to rent before God hooks me up? Why is it that, that everyone else seems to be getting hooked up except, except for me? I have friends, man, that, that are close friends of mine that call Reva home that, that man, they, for years they've been praying for a baby and, and wanting God to bless them with a kid. And, and they have friends in their circles, man, that are having two kids and, and three kids. And then surprise, get like, like we, were, we weren't even trying to have this kid, and we had another kid. And it's just like, oh, my goodness, like what's going on here? You need to stop practicing. What are you going to do when it seems like God's blessing everyone else? Waiting either fills us with great expectation or it fills us with great bitterness. Second thing I want you to write down is this, man. I, I, I really do believe, I've been thinking about this all week. Um, but when it comes to miracles, when God begins to move and bless other people, I, I think as God's people, we got we to gotta learn how to, number two, celebrate while we wait. Celebrate while we wait. Um, you're going to have a choice in your life when you're praying and believing for God to do something supernatural, for God to open up a door, for God to bless you in some way. You're going to have a choice. There's a fork in the road. When God gives that blessing to someone else, you're either going to celebrate or you're going to complain. You're, you're either going to say, you know, like, why me, why them, or you're going to thank God that he's blessing them. And the reason why I think that's so important is because if we actually believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life and for theirs and God is blessing them, then we ought to be excited about it. We ought to be grateful that God is, is moving in people's lives around us. Like it's, it's not like God only has a certain amount of miracles and so if he gives them one, then that means he, he can't give you one. Oh, sorry, I've given out. That's not the God we serve. God can meet your needs and their needs. So it's not a competition. That's, that's why for us, man, if you've been hanging out with Revo long, like I'm a big proponent of churches in Winston-Salem. Like I will promote what other churches are doing. I'll tell you if you don't like me or Revo, I'll hook you up with another 20 different churches in this city that are great. When other churches baptize people, I celebrate. When people's lives get changed, other churches, when other churches grow exponentially, they don't have a bigger fan than this guy right here because I think that honors God. Like, God is obviously blessing them, so why don't we cheer on what God is doing? At the same time, believing that God can do it here, too. There's plenty of blessings to go around, plenty of miracles. We can be excited and thankful when God impacts someone else and still be expectant in our life as well. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what Jairus does. Um, it tells us what everybody else does. Don't trouble Jesus. Don't worry about it. Your daughter's dead. You might as well hang it up. We do see what, what Jesus says. In verse 50 it says, But when, when Jesus heard what had happened, they said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith, and she will be healed. Everyone else is saying, Why bother? And Jesus looks at Jairus and says, Just believe. Just believe. 
Here's a third thing we can learn from this miracle. I believe Jesus is looking at Jairus and saying, here's, here's the deal, only do what only you can do. Only do what only you can do. Jairus, you can't control what other people do. You can't do that either. You can't control what other people say. You can't control the situations around me. You can't control your daughter's condition. You can't control your situation. But you know what you can control? You can do what only you can do. And Jesus looks at Jairus and says, the only thing that you can do right now is just believe. Just believe. Don't worry about what they say. Just believe. No one can believe for you, Jairus. No one can have faith for you. You have to have faith. Just believe. Man, some of us, we don't have the strong faith that, that, that God desires us to have. And, and here's the reason why. Instead of listening to what Jesus says, we're listening to what everybody else says. We're listening to everyone that says, you might as well not bother God anymore. He's overlooked you. It's too late. That situation in your life, it's dead. It's gone. It's too late. Might as well stop praying. Might as well stop believing. All of the other chatter, all of the other voices in our head. And in the midst of that, Jesus looks at Jairus and says, hey, you need to learn how to block those out and focus on two words. Just believe. Just believe. Do you trust me? Do you trust me, Jairus? Will you, will you put your faith in me? It brings us to a pivotal point that you and I have to wrestle with. We're either going to be people that say, why bother? Or we're going to be people that say, just believe. The world say, why bother? It's too late. Don't worry about it. You've prayed enough. God's overlooked you. And God's word says, just believe. Just believe. And this guy's daughter is dead. And I read this and I'm like, man, I can't believe Jesus has the gall to say, just believe. Right? Just, just believe. What, God, do you see my life right now? What do you mean, just believe? Do you see how it's falling apart? Do you see what I'm praying for? Do you not know how my my situation is. Do you not understand? The guy just said, my daughter is dead and your advice is don't panic. Just, just believe. My, my daughter is dead. You had your day and your response is just believe. That's like when the doctor tells you, you have cancer and his advice is just take two Tylenol and call me in the morning. Like it's bad advice. What do you mean? Just believe Jesus. I love that. I read that out of the NLT, but if you, if you use the, the ESV, turn to the English Standard Version of the Bible, it says this, only believe. Only believe. The reason why I love only is because in that moment, only was the only thing that Jairus had. Jesus looks at Jairus and says, what do you have? Well, I don't have my daughter. Well, I don't have any money. Well, I don't have my power. Jesus all I have is you. And Jesus says, man, if the only thing you have is Jesus, then you got the only thing you need. Only do what only you can do. Jairus only had Jesus. He didn't have a strategy. He didn't have a plan. He, he couldn't figure out how he was going to do it on his own or how to pay for it or how to convince somebody else. And so he just said, just believe, man. You're going to have to go all in on your faith if you want God to do something in your life and get to the point where you just understand, God, the only thing I have is only believe. I only have you. That's it. That's all I have. That's all Jairus had. That's all the woman had. Every miracle performed in the Bible, that's all they had. And that was the grounds for God to do something miraculous. 
Verse 51, when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone in. He wouldn't let anybody go in the room with him except for Peter, James, and John and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, listen to what Jesus said, stop the weeping, stop that crying. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. Jesus got to have the worst bedside manner ever. Jesus walks into a house where there's a dead girl in the bedroom upstairs, and he just busts in the door. What's up, party people? Yo, friends and fam. Why's everybody crying? Why's everybody dressed in black? What's the deal? It's not that bad of a day. I, I don't know why you're overwhelmed. Like, worse. That's not, that's not what you want. You want somebody to come in and bring you compassion and say, I'm so sorry for you. I know how you feel. I want to pray. I just want to sit in silence with you. But Jesus comes in and is like, why are you crying? Your life's not over. You're not beyond hope. Your daughter's not dead. She just needs a Savior to walk in there and wake her up. Fourth thing that I'm, I'm challenged by this is, is a few of the details. Number four, write this down. We don't learn how to surround ourselves with people of great faith. Surround yourself with people of great faith. Look Look when Jesus arrived. There were some people that were crying and wailing because they were convinced that this girl's life was over. And in the most kind way that Jesus could, Jesus looked over and said, um, can you keep those people outside? There's only a few people he let go in the daughter's room with him. Him, his disciples, and the mom and dad. Because those are the only people that believed that Jesus could do something. The other people had a lack of faith. And Jesus says, man, I, I don't want that polluting the waters. I can't let people in here that don't believe God can do something miraculous in their life. I want to surround myself with people that believe that God can do something, that believe my life can change, that believe God can speak to whatever area of your life is dead and he can resurrect it. And so Jesus said, the doubters, the haters, the people that are fearful, put them out. Put them outside. They're not going to come in. Hey, one of the things that, that, that you might want to do as you grow in your faith is learn how to listen to the people that believe God can do something and put out the doubters that don't. It might be a, an area of breakthrough in your life to surround yourself with people that actually believe that God is still in the business of doing miracles, that God can still change your marriage, change your family, change your finances, change your situation, turn your life around. You start surrounding yourself with people like that, and you'll actually start believing that God is still in the business of changing people's lives, and he might just change yours. So Jesus said, put all of them out. So Jesus, the mom and the dad that believed, and the three disciples went up there with them. Jesus was not being rude. He was just realizing if you want positive spiritual results in your life, you need to learn how to get the negative spiritual people out. And here's how the story ends. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned. She immediately stood up. Then Jesus, I love this. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. The verse prior, it says, when Jesus says she's not dead, she's asleep. The Bible says that everyone laughed at Jesus. Spoiler alert. Never laugh at Jesus. He's always going to get the last laugh. 
Never disagree with something that Jesus has said is going to happen. You'll always be the butt of the joke. Everyone will be laughing except you in the very end. And I can imagine those same people that laughed when they saw that girl walking into the kitchen to grab a sandwich. They probably weren't laughing at Jesus anymore. Surrounded by people of great faith. Jesus had something to teach Jairus. He had something to teach his family. He had something to teach his disciples and everyone that heard the story. And when all of the pieces fell into place, Jesus moved in a, in a supernatural way. <laughs> I love that detail. Jesus talks about getting her something to eat. I'm telling you, this is my guy right here. Everyone is hopeless. Everyone is panicked. Everyone's losing their mind. And Jesus looks up and says, y'all hungry? Is anybody else hungry here? See, Jesus was so confident in what he can do. He was already thinking about what he was going to do after he did what he said he was going to do. Like he was confident in it. Everyone else's life was falling apart. We worship a savior that when you are at your wit's end, he can step in and change your life without even breaking a sweat. Like he doesn't even put a skip in his day. Like you are overwhelmed completely and Jesus is up there already knows the plan and the purpose that he has for you and you're praying and Jesus is like you know what would be good right now some tacos let's talk about what we're going to do after I do what I've already told you I'm going to do in your life if you would just trust me if you would just put your faith in me if you would just depend on me then you wouldn't have to worry about it you already know what I'm going to do you already know I'm going to provide you already know I'm going to answer prayers you already know I have a plan for your life. This girl has been sick for days, just died. And Jesus is not worried. He's not panicked. He's not losing his mind. He knows exactly what you need when you need it. And God has a plan for it. Man, it, listen, man, it's time to turn to Jesus. It's time to turn to Jesus. It's time to move from why bother and focus on just believe. Just believe. Just let it start there. Man, let your desperation lead to dependence. And just believe. And I don't know how God's going to work it out. I'm not saying there's some magic formula. If you do these four steps, then God's going to perform a miracle and whatever you want. God's not a genie in a bottle. I'm just telling you that if you put your faith in him, and once you realize he has a plan for your life, you can rest easy. Once you realize he's got it all under control, man, it changes your mind, your attitude, your heart, your worries, your fears. Everything about it flips a switch. When Jairus looked at Jesus and said, will you come and change my life? And I don't know what happens between when I met you and when you answer my prayers, but I'm going to trust you during the process. It's time to, to turn to Jesus, to turn from why bother to, to just believe. It's time to realize that Jesus is not asking you to have blind faith. Jesus has a resume a mile long in your life. I'm not saying just believe and it's all make-believe. No, I'm saying look back at how many times God has provided, how many times God has answered your prayer, how many times God's hand moved, how many times he blessed you. Go back to that and just believe on whatever situation you're facing right now. It's time to identify the hurdles that are preventing you from having the faith that you need to move forward and put them out, just like Jesus did. God's got a plan, and when a desperate life moves to dependence on Jesus, you just believe and you watch what Jesus can do. Watch how he can change your life. God, there are people that have been praying prayers here, believing you for a long time. 
just like the woman for 12 years praying desperately, desperate, desperate for an answer, desperate for a solution. There are people that face impossible situations right now, just like Jairus, impossible. All the money in the world can't fix it. God, I'm desperate. God, I pray that that desperation would breed a new level of dependence on you, that our faith would be sparked by those around you, that we would believe that you're not only the God that did miracles 2,000 years ago, but we have the same God with the same power, with the same promises and the same problems that you're still moving today, that you're still changing people's lives today, still drawing people closer to yourself, still fixing problems, mending pains, and changing people's physical and spiritual lives today. That is the God that we pray to right now. So God, we're gonna trust that you know what we're doing, that you know and have a plan for us. God, may our desperation right now lead to total dependence on you. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your hand moving in so many people's lives in our church and God, for the things that you wanna do right now to intervene in people's impossible situations. And God, we invite you to do whatever you want to do over these next few moments. I pray and ask those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.